Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord, a podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. Hi, I'm Brian Lord, your host of the Beyond Speaking podcast, and today we have with us Shay Eskew. Shay is a very remarkable person. Um, as a youngster, um, a large percentage of his body was burned in an accident, um, recovered from that, uh, was told he may never compete in sports, has been incredibly successful with Ironman, uh, 10 or 11 world championships. You've raced all over the world, Team USA, uh, amazing husband, father to five kids, author of What the Fire Ignited, and uh, we're excited to have you on here today. We're excited to be here today with you, Brian. Thank you so much. So what is more difficult, racing in 11 world championships or raising five kids? I think raising five kids. I tell everybody, my <laughs> wife's a true Iron Man in the family, right? Uh-huh. She keeps this together somehow. She knows where to be. She makes sure I'm there. I do my part. Uh, Iron Man, to me, is just therapy for raising mm-hmm. the kids. <laughs> well, that's good. So can you tell us, you know, starting from the beginning, uh, your story of how this came about from when you're eight years old and, you know, what happened that day? Sure. So like so many of us, I was a normal kid, did well in school, straight A student, like to think I was pretty good looking, had a few <laughs> girlfriends, if that's possible at eight. <laughs> but I was raised by very conservative parents, right? If there was ever any chance of anything bad happening, I wasn't allowed to do it. Couldn't jump on trampolines, couldn't be around smokers, couldn't go to spend night parties, couldn't do it. But my neighbors had an aggressive yellow jackets nest that the previous day had swarmed my bike. So my mom had asked me to tell them. So I recruited my seven-year-old friend. We walked across the street, knocked on the door. The dad wasn't home, but the 15-year-old daughter was. And as I proceeded to tell her about the yellow jacket's nest, she said, will you help me get rid of them? Again, I had no idea what this involved. Never been around matches. Didn't even know how to light one. We said, sure, you know, what can we do to help? So we walk down there, we point to the ground, we show her where the yellow jackets are flying in and out, and we're standing there about 15 feet away. She walks up, she throws a match down. Now we all know a match in and of itself does nothing. And as we're standing there watching them, all of a sudden we feel something splashes. I feel it on the right side of my face, my buddy hits him on the left side of her face, and then it hits that match. It's gasoline. Mm. Immediately we're engulfed in flames, I was fearful the bees would sting me, so I ran across to my yard, stopped, dropped, and rolled. And I remember when I looked up, I see my buddy just engulfed in flames, head to toe, screaming. I ran back across the street, got the hose, and put him out. And I just stood there with a water hose alternating over the top of us. Our bodies are blackened and charred. Your skin's melted off. Your clothes are melted to your body. I remember touching my head. All of my hair came out. Hmm. And I'm looking at my buddy, and I'm thinking, Do I look like that? Like, what just happened, right? Like, we're standing there one minute, next minute, we're on fire. And that really changed my entire life trajectory. It's hard to imagine that three minutes of one day could change your entire life trajectory. The girl who set us on fire, her homeowner's insurance denied liability. Hmm. We had no insurance. They had just canceled on my dad at work. We were stuck with a $2 million hospital bill. Fortunately for us, the Shriners Hospital in Cincinnati heard about us and relocated my mother and I. We lived in Atlanta, so they relocated us from Atlanta to Cincinnati. Hmm. So I spent the next three months up there. My dad would come up on the weekends to see me. 
And if you can imagine, you're eight years old, you're 500 miles away from friends, family, everything you knew. I didn't see anybody for three months. Um, during that time, a lot of complications, people don't realize that, but getting set afire is part of it, but it's the healing. You're prone to a lot of infection. My right ear had to be amputated. Mm -hmm. um, just got this puppy 10 years ago. <laughs> So my if you don't know Shay, he loves using that ear to comic effect. I think people are jealous. Like, who would love to have an attachable ear? <laughs> Definitely had the best dad tricks at school. Uh, I lost three skin grafts to infection. Uh, my right arm was permanently melted to my body. It took three years for me to do this. I had to learn how to write left-handed to finish the third grade. And as you can imagine, you've got kids, so you can appreciate this. As an eight-year-old, going back to school was harsh. There's nothing to prepare you for the gawking, the comments. And I was fortunate enough around the same time Wes Craven released his movie Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. We all know the story of Freddy Krueger would come and see you in your dreams. And when I'd walk down the hallways, you'd hear just silence. You could hear a pin drop. And as I start to walk down the hallways, you could hear the whispers. You knew it was about you. Mm -hmm. And then every now and then you hear a few kids say, hey, Freddy. Like you knew they were talking about you. Mm. And Brian, it's one of those things too. Like when I looked in the mirror, I didn't see an eight-year-old kid. I saw Freddy Krueger. Mm. So much so that for years, I never even looked at the right side of my face in the mirror. Because I didn't want to be reminded of that horrible monster. And, you know, as part of my story, it's one of those things that you really just come to realize, look, this is my new reality. Mm -hmm. No amount of begging, crying, praying is going to fix it. You got to embrace it. And so for me, part of that embracing it was laughter. That was the best therapy. And so I said, you know what? I'm not going to let these kids make fun of me and make me the root of their jokes. I'm going to put it back on them. So these same kids, when I walked in the hallways, they'd say, hey, Freddie. I'd say, yes, I'll see you in your dreams tonight. <laughs> and as you can imagine, that put it into that pretty quick. Um, but one of the things that became very clear for me was these scars, I was going to have to live with these the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I remember just lying in the hospital bed. I still have this picture. Mounted above me, a three foot by six foot piece of plexiglass was an eight by 11 signed picture from Herschel Walker. So this is 1982. Oh, huge. Dude, growing up in Atlanta, everybody idolized Herschel. I mean, who didn't? And it said, best wishes, Shay, for a quick recovery. Herschel Walker. And so for the first two weeks, everything I did, you'd lie flat on your back in the hospital bed. Eat, drink, go to the bathroom. And I'd stare up at this picture all day, every day for weeks. And I remember making that commitment. I said, God, if you ever get me out of this hospital bed, I will use every single minute of every single day reclaiming my abilities as an athlete. And so that's what I did. When I got out of the hospital, uh, my father signed me up for baseball two months later. Mm-hmm. Now, if you remember, I said I couldn't lift my arm. So you're like, how do you throw a baseball? I could throw it underhand. Mm -hmm. So my dad signed up to be the coach, put me at second base, because it was the shortest distance to first. Mm -hmm. So I could throw the ball underhanded. Six months later, my dad signed me up for football. The challenge of playing football was, so everywhere I was burned, I've got scars 65% of my body. Mm -hmm. A third of my body, I have no nerves. I have no sweat glands. So you could stick a needle in me, can't even feel it. So the fear was if I was to sustain a cut, I could bleed out and not even be aware of it. My dad, knowing how much I wanted to play, 
inserted two additional inches of padding into my shoulder pads. So I was out there playing. And I can honestly tell you, without a doubt, I was the worst player <laughs> by far. But, you know, just to have that ability to be out there for 60 minutes on every Saturday, like you love getting your bell rang because for once you felt like a normal kid. Mm -hmm. Nobody had white gloves treating you. That's what you wanted. Just give me an opportunity. Let me be a kid, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that's it. You know, and over the years, uh, I wrestled. was fortunate enough to get inducted to the National Wrestling Hall of Fame two years ago. Boxed wow. in college. Got inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame at Tennessee. And then I got introduced to a little sport called Ironman. Mm -hmm. And I've been fortunate enough to compete in 42 of those Ironman and Ironman 70.3s. That's crazy. <laughs> and just I've done up. two, and I'm exhausted just thinking about 42. Well, That's it's amazing. therapy. You know, we talked yeah. about the five kids. But I really feel like getting burned prepared me for that. Because mm -hmm. you know this, Brian. Like, Ironman, it's not who's the fastest. Mm -hmm. It's who slows down the least. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like getting burned, all the abilities that I lost, anything that required a sense of touch, finesse, I can't do it. Tennis, basketball, horrible. But if it was about who had the highest pain threshold, last man standing wins, those were sports I did well in. And so that's why I kind of gravitated to the sport. And honestly, I felt like it was a, a God thing, um, how I got introduced into the sport. It just kind of stuck with me. How, now, how did you get started into it? So you can sympathize with this. You know, so all through college, I focused on bulking up. You know, I thought the ladies were interested in the gun shows. I, <laughs> I worked on the biceps, the chest. I was 40 pounds bigger than what I am now. Imagine that, right? Wow, yeah. And I was 33 at the time. We lived in Atlanta, and every day at lunch, I'd go work out in the gym. And so I'm about to head out to the gym. This 65-year-old man walks up to me, big barrel chested. He's got a flat top. He goes, hey, tough guy. I said, you talking to me? He said, yeah, I'm talking to you. He goes, why don't you come in here in my little boot camp class just me and a bunch of ladies. Shouldn't be anything for a guy like you with all your muscles. <laughs> he obviously knew which buttons to hit. <laughs> I was like, whatever, old timer. So I get in there, and true to form, it's all women. I'm the only guy. I was like, whatever, I got this. Ten minutes, I'm in tears. We're doing leg raises, planks. I had no core to start with, and it exposed it. And these women are just kicking my butt. <laughs> and so the last ten minutes, he goes, all right, push-ups. Four count push-ups. I was like, man, I'm going to bury this old bird. He doesn't know who he's messed with. And he knew it, so he comes and drops down beside me. And he goes, four count, ready? One, two, three, one. One, two, three. And I can't keep up with him. And he goes, SQ, ponytails is kicking your butt. Pick it up, boy. And all I could say, I was so embarrassed, I said, yes, sir. <laughs> I went home that night. I said, babe, I got my butt kicked today. 65-year-old man. 32 years older than me. And she just laughed, and she knew what was happening. I said, I'm going to show him what happened. Come to find out, he was a Marine drill sergeant. He was one of the original Ironmen from 1978. Oh, wow. Again, I didn't know any of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I, I really feel like it was a guy thing. So the next day I showed up, still got my butt kicked, but not quite as bad. Two months I hung in there. I lost 20 pounds, got back into what I called fighting shape. And so Henry, Henry Forrest was his name. We became good friends and we started talking. About that same time, he got diagnosed stage four pancreatic cancer. Hmm. 
And we started commiserating after the workout. Just life's uncertainty, right? It's nothing about punishment. It's just playing the hand you're dealt. He said, Shane, look, I served my country, faithful to my wife, done everything the good book told me. I don't drink. I don't smoke. What else could I do? I said, Henry, I was eight years old. What could I possibly do to deserve getting burned? It's just how life works, man. I said, but I can tell you, laying in that hospital bed, when I looked around and I saw all these other kids, missing limbs, disfigured, smiling, I told myself, you were so lucky, right? It's all about perspective. And so Henry and I bonded, and over the next 12 months, we kept building that relationship, but then we lost him. But a week before he passed away, a group of us from the class said, Henry, whatever the next big triathlon is, we're doing it. And so it happened to be the Gulf Coast Half Ironman in Panama City. Never done a triathlon, didn't own a bike, hadn't ran since high school really. <laughs> Bought a $500 bike off Craigslist, took some swimming lessons, and uh, signed up, did it. After the race, we're celebrating, and somebody's like, well, let's do the same race twice, five months from now. We had a few beverages. I was like, heck yeah. So I was the only one to sign up that night. And I actually bought a book called Be Iron Fit and started learning how do you train. Like I never trained for endurance sports. And the day before the race, I ran into Henry's daughter. She said, Shay, Danny's going to be watching you. I said, yeah, I know. She goes, no, seriously. You know this is the one-year anniversary of Daddy passing away today. Mm. I had no idea. Again, I just kind of felt led to do something. And it stuck, right? And... I feel like my life's been that way that God places people in all of our lives, mm -hmm. but we don't see it. We're so busy following the path that we feel like we should be on, and then He places people in our life that if we'll stop and just say, wait a minute, what if I pursue this? What does this path look like? Mm -hmm. It's just amazing what that journey holds for us. What advice, I'm sure people ask you a lot of times, like, how do you get from here to there? What advice do you give to people? I know you kind of, in your book, you talk about three different things. Um, what are some of those things that you would share with people if they need to feel like, feel like they need to change a direction in their life? Yes, yeah, so and for me, the biggest part is come to the realization that you need to make a change. That no matter what you do, doing nothing is not an option. And until you're ready to embrace that, embrace that I'm miserable. And it's also one of those to figure out, like, what do you want your life to look like? Because if you don't know, how do you know if you're ever achieving that? And Brian, like I, say, I ask people all the time, what is happiness look like for you? And people are like, well, you know, I don't know. And I said, all right, well, tell me, where would you go for your favorite vacation? Well, I'd go to 30A. I'd rent this house. Here's what I would pack. Well, if you know all that stuff about your vacation, why can't you apply that to your personal life? What is your perfect career like? What is your personal family life look like? You know, where's your life look like as a, a father, as a husband? And once you can start mapping up those things, then you can back into it. It's like when I said, I want to do an Ironman, so I went and bought an Ironman plan. Mm -hmm. And it says, all right, here's what you do tomorrow. People say, I can never do an Ironman. Really? Could you run, walk 15 minutes tomorrow? We're not judging on speed. Can you run, walk for 15 minutes? Well, sure. What about the next day? Could you ride a bike for 40 minutes? We're not judging on speed. Can you physically ride a bike for 40 minutes? Yeah, absolutely. 30 weeks of that progressive building, you would be an Ironman. 
And that's what life's about. It's our brain, it's so hard to latch onto. We see this big, grandiose dream. I can't do it, so I don't even start. Mm-hmm. But if you just start, just do something, your brain will start filling in the gaps. And then reach out to people that you know are successful and ask them for help. And it's amazing how many people will help you. Because I genuinely believe people want others to be successful. Like people love being asked, hey, what did you do? But on that same vein, if you're going to ask, you better do it. (laughs) Yeah. Right? And share with them. Let them be a part of that success journey. Say, hey, look, I took your advice. I've lost 20 pounds. Here's what's going on. People love that. And they will continue to support you. Yeah. um, One of the things that you've done to that journey, like starting this one small thing, you've recently finished one of your really big goals, which was to... Uh, do an Ironman on every continent. And especially like during COVID, travel is crazy. You know, where did you finish up and what, you know, kind of brought that whole goal together for you? It's a great question. Uh, So it started, so the goal I made in 2012, I raced Ironman World Championships in Kona. We knew number five was coming. And I said, I can't do the full distance, but I want to step back and do the half. And I said, all right, I want to race World Championships every year. And so at the next Worlds, I was with my wife, and they were announcing the event will be in Zellensee, Austria. Mm. You'd have to know my wife to appreciate this. Like, I love her. She believes in tough love. She's going to tell you how it is. She's not going to water it down. She said, look, we're going to Austria. You better make it happen. (laughs) I put up with your crap all the time. This is the least you can do. So whatever it takes, you make it happen. And so when I qualified for Austria the next year, I said, all right, I want to race every continent, right? So then we went to South Africa, then we went to Australia, then we're in Nice, France in 2019. And then I had a torn rotator cuff, torn labrum, torn bicep. I said, all right, where can I race in either South America or Asia to allow me to have surgery? It was Patagonia Mm -hmm. down in Argentina. And it was also going to be next to my birthday. I was like, I'm going to give myself an early birthday gift. (laughs) I signed up for the race the night before I had surgery. So when I walked into the surgery, I told the surgeon, I said, look, I've got four months to get ready for this race. Failure is not an option. And so I finished that race in Patagonia, got home two days before COVID hit, Mm. shut down all the travel. So you can appreciate that. So all through COVID in 2020, I said, man, I got really fortunate. I got one more continent coming up. But Asia was the slowest continent to open up to tourists. And I started looking. There was only three races. One of them was uh, Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan. Uh-huh. Another one was Turkey. And Turkey was going to be on, things, on uh, Halloween. I said, we can't miss Halloween. <laughs> can't miss Halloween, yeah. The other one is Israel. And it's going to be at the Sea of Galilee. And again, I felt this was a God calling. I was like, wow. You can swim in the Sea of Galilee? <laughs> what? Are you kidding? And it's only like a big lake. Yeah, it's not even like, like a sea. Yeah. Maybe Jesus will lift me out of the water. <laughs> so I signed up. And somebody said, well, you know they're not open to tourists. They haven't been for a year and a half. I said, this is destiny. I'm not worried about it. So we started getting closer to it in September. The race was November 12th. So September comes. They're still not open. I was like, man, I need to have a backup plan. 
And so I put it out on social media. Hey, I'm trying to get to Israel. Right then, they only had, you could enter groups of five or more. And I was like, man, I don't know four of the people that are willing to go do this. And then somebody that lives in the country reached out and said, hey, the prime minister is going to pass this law allowing tourists starting 11-1. So the 1st of October, I bought my plane tickets, rolled the dice, booked my hotel the whole trip. They opened the country to travel to tourists 11-1. I flew November 4th. <laughs> the race was a week later. I got home. They closed the country two weeks later. Wow. I was like, how crazy is this? Like the country's only open for 20 days just for me, right? <laughs> and the Shayesky window. Yeah. And I think I shared with this earlier, but one of the things that was also driving this, I'm a big believer, we don't control tomorrow. Getting burned eight, like I know you don't put things off. We're not guaranteed we'll ever wake up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Make use of every single minute. That's the pledge I made. And so I'm having a big surgery in 30 days, January 13th taking a big section out of my back, blood vessels, everything, sewing it to my neck. It's a big surgery, 10 to 12 hours. I don't know. There could be some complications. Who knows? Maybe I never race again. Maybe I'm better. I don't know. But I didn't want to live with that regret if something went wrong and I didn't finish the six continents. And so now I feel better. I was able to get into the country, do the race, check the bucket list, and moving forward into the surgery. Now, you know, coming up to that, like you have these, you know, a lot of people don't have those deadlines. Like, you know, January 13th, I need to do what yeah. XYZ I then. Um, you know, you're a dad to five kids that are all, you know, fairly young. They're still all at home. Um, you know, what are some things that you have in mind that you want to accomplish with your kids or your wife, um, whether it's before that or just, you know, I'm sure you set out goals just like you're saying for Ironman. What are some of the family goals that you have? You know, the big one is to give my kids an appreciation for the great outdoors. You know, one of the things you may or may not have known, but when I came out of college, my undergrad was wildlife biology. Hmm. So I spent six months living in the woods doing research on black bears. So we <laughs> caught over 150 bears doing research on Like, I genuinely feel at peace in the woods. But in case you're wondering, you can't make a living doing that, <laughs> especially supporting five kids. And so we do a big trip at least once a year to Colorado to try to give my kids an appreciation for the outdoors. During COVID, I took my boys on a boys trip. We spent a whole week doing nothing but camping, hiking, zip lining in Colorado. I just want my kids to be able to know we can unplug from technology. We don't need somebody to entertain us. Like just being out in mother nature, it's a gift, right? And it's just that calming um, power but it's also giving my kids the confidence that you are capable of doing so many great things. And it's hard to replicate those things inside your house. And so when you can go out hiking, you know, like my kids, Dad, I'm going to run out of water. I said, you'll be fine. I mean, I've got backup water, but I don't tell them, right? <laughs> There's things that I tell them, and they're hiking for miles. Dad, we can't make it. I don't know if I can. I may die. I like, I promise you won't die. But there's so many simulations that you can do in the great outdoors to teach these kids these instincts that look we are built to design tough things sadly as humans we become very soft it's only when we're truly tested we discover what we're capable of and i'm thankful that what i was exposed to as a kid taught me that you know Um, so that's the biggest thing just teaching my kids to have an appreciation and don't be scared of a big challenge 
Sign up for it. And if you fail, that's okay. And it's not a failure if you keep trying. It's only a failure if you let it beat you. Mm-hmm. Right? And my kids have seen Daddy, you know, one of the most races I'm proud of. I finished fourth from last. Like, I thought I would truly finish top ten in the world. I was fourth from last. And then people are like, how could you be excited about it? Because I, I finished. And when you had that certainty of knowing that no matter how tough life is, you will do whatever it takes to get across the finish line, life takes on a whole different meaning, right? And so that's what we try to focus on. Like, how do you seek out these big challenges? And that's when you start living a life that 99% of the people in the world will never live. Well, Shay, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and for you know, inspiring so many people. Uh, you know, here in Franklin, Nashville area and around the world. And, and uh, good luck on your surgery. And thanks for, uh, for being here with us today. Well, thanks, Brian. Hope this speaks to somebody out there. Absolutely. And uh, so for those watching, listening, uh, definitely check out Shay's page on our site, Shay SQ. And uh, on behalf of Premier Speakers and National Speakers, thanks for listening to the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. To learn more about today's guests, go to beyondspeak.com. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen.